The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales. Episode 23, Air Support. Mara thought about her Maria the Swan. Swans and geese were indeed among Baba Yaga's most faithful servants, but they were more than that. They were guides to the souls of the dead, and they led mortals into her realm for all eternity. She couldn't just let Jack consign Maria to, how did the little nerd put it? Haunt the netherworld as a shadow, never regaining her heart, endlessly circling the realms of despair? She'd let Mikhailo Ivanovich go hang for now. Or, well, she'd let him keep house with a flesh-eating dragon, even better. Maybe she'd turn one of Russia's great accidental heroes into a vampire. Now there's a happy thought for a dark and stormy night she'd be sure to revisit later. For now, though, she'd find her black swan shade a shape within the story world and have a little more fun. She started thinking of dragons. Russian tales were surprisingly full of them. Many-headed Chudo-Yudo water guardians, wet blankets for the most part, but impressive and biddable with the proper coaxing. Zmei, seductive male dragons with fiery appetites, but often few brains. Easily a match for most fair maidens and their lovers true. And the mighty Zmeya the female dragons who inspired heroes or led them astray as the times required she was one such deep down though she didn't often take that form because every time she let her reptilian side take over she found it harder and harder to change back again then she thought about the little tail-spinning dragon lady isabel she wondered if she should cultivate a friendship there Maybe they should join forces in dragon form, though she wondered if she'd need to teach the little princess how to fly. Not hard, once you gave up buzz-killing constants like gravity. Special Orbital Oblivion Division. Poison and flames. Definitely one way to contain the current crisis. But she really just wanted to leave Middle-earth. She didn't necessarily want to lay waste to it. She might want to leave the door open for a return visit one day, a hunting trip and a holiday, to collect specimens and provisions. A few leisurely centuries would do nicely, as long as she wasn't being forced to stay put. That she couldn't stand. At home, her dominion lay on the borders between the mortal and supernatural realms, on the edge of the thrice-tenth kingdom, the furthest point of the known magical world. But there was a deliberate numeric conceit in the reckoning of far, far away in her land. Thrice ten was thirty, thrice nine, twenty-seven. Lands twenty-eight and twenty-nine were unaccounted for. One she was pretty sure equated to the western fairy, 
which must be where Jack's veil was located. The other was hell. Because Russia didn't bother with fairies in the Western sense, gilded toothpicks and unicorn farts as far as she was concerned, and she crawled out of hell a very long time ago indeed, she wasn't quite sure which realm had which address. It wouldn't do to get caught trespassing into the wrong one on her way home, even though there were days in Middle Earth during lockdown when she felt like she was in hell. Then another thought struck her. Maybe Isabel didn't really know what she was or how to change. A zoomorphic newbie. A transformational virgin. Oh, how sweet. If she could control that part of Little Lady Worm, she'd have a protege and a weapon. Just think how that story would go down. When it came time for Mara to tell, the audience members were given a description of a comfortably appointed parlor with a full Russian tea set out. Steaming samovar, delicious cakes and fancies, everything. There were two tables laid, the smaller one raised as if on a little stage, as if the guests would experience the story like some kind of dinner theatre. The table on the raised platform had two chairs. A worried-looking motherly woman was described as seated in one chair, fidgeting nervously as if she was waiting for someone. The other was empty. The seated woman took no notice of either Mara or the other members of the group and did not look up when Mara began her tale. Welcome, friends. In tonight's story, I will continue to follow the haunted, desolate flight path of Maria the Swan, who transformed into a dark specter at the end of my tale and who was banished heartless and soulless at the end of Jack's. Swans and geese are important creatures in Russian folk tales, as indeed are many kinds of birds. These in particular are the servants of Baba Yaga and transport the souls of the dead between the realms. Perhaps wraiths like Maria transport the spirits of the undead as well? In any case, I can't in good conscience or mischievous intent just let a black swan fly free. But Michaelo I leave to the feasting dragon and her brood, or at least I leave him frozen in that terrified moment of realization and move on to one of the other heroes. Ilya the old Cossack is above reproach and possibly too lacking in imagination to allow for any temptation. He's like a geriatric version of the West Sir Lancelot, only without the taint of extramarital transgression and treason. Or maybe Ilya is more like Gawain without his garters or Galahad. Dull Boy Scouts, the lot. That leaves us Dobrynya the Dragon Slayer. And if Mihailo's heartache began with a woman, my friends, his fate is nothing compared to what awaits Dobrynya as far as the fairer sex and their unfair dealings are concerned. Now, Dobrynya was born under marvelous portents, and as soon as he was old enough, he joined Prince Vladimir's court, sure that he would rise to fame quickly, even though he was young. He fought bravely for three years with the pots in the palace scullery, 
for three years with the weeds in the garden, and for three years with questing travelers who showed up at the palace gate. After nearly ten years of his young and noble life had flown by, he presented himself to the prince and asked for greater glory. Go home and talk to your mother, boy, came the royal voice of experience, seconded laughingly by his nobles. So Dobrynya was sent home from court and spoke to his mother. She told him to roam all over Kiev and the countryside at will and seek his fortune but to avoid a certain little lane where the Princess Marina had her dwelling, because she was a powerful shapeshifter and sorceress who had been the ruin of most of the princes of the royal house, at least not those possessed of the creativity and initiative to effect their own destruction. Like any good and attentive son, Dobrynya hung on every word of his mother's wise counsel and made straight for the home of Princess Marina as soon as he was out of earshot. Once he got there, he saw two mated doves in the window and he shot an arrow at one. It went wide of the birds but killed Tugarin, <clears throat> son of the dragon, who was Marina's current favorite. So this is how Dobrynya first became known as a dragon slayer, because he aimed for a defenseless bird and missed. However, this put our hero into a tight spot. Whether to risk losing his honor, his life, or a perfectly good arrow, to most normal mortals, this wouldn't even have been a question. Princess Marina was seated on a brocade and fur-covered couch, petting a fiery dragon with one hand and teasing a pair of poisonous serpents with the other. While she was not best pleased that her erstwhile lover was lying dead at her feet, no thanks to her own powers, she wasn't one to waste away in grief. She was impressed with the handsome Dobrynya and tried to convince him to stay with her. Although she was beautiful and our valiant hero was tempted, he resisted. I know your game, sorceress. I will not be seduced by your wiles. I came for my arrow, nothing more. He retrieved his arrow and departed. If he knew her game, she would change it. After he left, Marina took a knife and pried up his footprints from the clay of the floor, painting them with magical symbols and throwing them into her stove. Let him burn with the desire to come back to me, she cursed. Let his feet know only the way to my door. No sooner had the footprints burned down to blackened shards than Dobrynya was at her door begging to be admitted. She teased him. I offered to make your life complete when first you came, but you spurned me. Now I have power over you. I could turn you into a raven, a magpie, a pig, a frog, and heaven help you if the latter, because no one will be able to turn you back. But I will turn you into a mighty aurochs with golden horns. You will be lord of the forest, but you will be hunted mercilessly by every hero east and west until I decide to release you. Suddenly, Dobrynya was a great wild beast with golden horns. He was mad with fear and rage, and he knew only two things, 
to run from pursuers he deemed stronger or smarter than he was, and to turn and charge at those he judged weaker. He rampaged through the domains of his aunt, Avdotya Ivanova, destroying the flocks of geese that were her messengers, and nearly trampling under his churning hooves the servants charged with their care. His aunt was furious and made a plan to confront her enchanted nephew and his beguiling love, the Princess Marina. She turned herself into a magpie and flew to the princess, demanding that she release him from enchantment. She laughed, became a swallow, and flew over the chattering creature's head. But old Russian aunties are not so easily dismissed, and Avdotya worked her magic in the netherworld and made her bargain there. She found a single black swan feather and created a curse for the princess, and she herself gained the power to transform in the shadows at will, her heart beating darkly as the echo of Maria's and giving the disembodied shade some little substance for the space of a long night above ground once again. Meanwhile, having decided that Dobrynya had probably learned his lesson for the moment, and that if she wasted him utterly now, there would be nothing to play with later, Marina gave Dobrynya back his true form and they exchanged vows. Instead of sharing a cup of wine, Dobrynya first said that he wanted to have his sword brought to him so that he could pledge lifelong service to his princess and bride. It was a short commission. With a single two-handed stroke, he cut off her head, intending to take it back to his mother and aunt as a peace offering. When he arrived at his mother's home, his aunt Avdotya was already there serving tea. She gave him a toothy iron grin. About my geese, nephew, she said softly. Jack, Lucas wrote in the private chat, do you remember when I said parts of my tales were leaking into my life? Yes. What if we could all do that to our advantage? Besides the swan knight and maidens, are there any other white swans you know from western tales? There's the swan of endless tales. Great. Be ready with air support if any of us are chosen except Mara. You'll see what I mean. Mara decided to leave things there. She pressed the hot key. Ten of diamonds. Ivan asks for a description of the decoration of the parlor, aside from the tea things. Specifically, is there a basket of eggs anywhere? Lucas wrote. Moot replied, There is a large basket of painted eggs on a side table, near a display of icons so faded that the likenesses cannot be easily distinguished. The table is near an open window. The topmost one appears to be made of crystal and has something sharp and glinting within. It is unevenly shaped and inscribed with the primitive features of a skull. Lucas grinned hugely to himself. Yes! Ivan asks Jack to comment on the interesting decor, he wrote. Jack twigged suddenly and wrote, Attracted by the eggs, the swan of endless tails glides through the window into the room, singing an eerie song that mesmerizes all who have never heard her. 
She takes up the crystalline egg, circles the room, and departs the way she came. Jack signaled for Lucas and Isabel to sign off right away. Mara shrieked, still logged on. The characters populating the raised stage area were described as turning, questioningly. Moot said, you drew a one. Some kind of loss was almost guaranteed. She signed off, having to physically restrain herself from throwing her phone into her big Russian stove. She had described her basket of soul eggs in the setting mainly for herself, as a nice homely touch and a good luck charm that would bolster her power. She put the basket back in the niche in her hut after counting the eggs. The crystal one was really missing. Koshche, Baba Yaga hissed, sounding rather like a throttling goose herself. Where have you gone? The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kozar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.